Old Man Podcast with Andy Case and special guest. Hello and welcome to the Bonmo Podcast. This week, Chrissy Derbyshire is answering the questions while I chip in from the sidelines with hilarious, yes they are, how very dare you, observations. And with that, over to Chrissy. Um, yep, yeah, I am Chrissy Derbyshire. I'm, I guess what you would call an up-and-coming comedian, uh, stand-up comedian on the Wales and West scene, although I'm all over now. And uh, I'm usually the weirdest one on every bill, so that's uh, a bit scary, but fun. Is that your target, is it? Yeah, I think my target is is nerds and English teachers um, and people with mental health problems. So I cover all the bases. I think I heard on one of your uh, one of yours you were saying um, whether people would think what was it you were you were the person with the ukulele who would sing sad songs. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Um, I talk about, in my latest set, I talk about um, the way people deal with their problems. And I do mention that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I think I do have that vibe. Um, but <laughs> in fact, I deal with my trauma through stand-up comedy in the end. Good. Good thing to do. Here we go. Please introduce yourself, your favourite song slash book slash film and your favourite joke or observation. Um I'm aware that's cheating, that I have crammed a load of questions into question one, so I'm very aware that I uh, cheated a bit. There, that's but... all right. Um, you're going to discover now that I'm a massive pleb. Um, <laughs> I'll start with my favourite book, because that's the least um, embarrassing. It's probably a toss-up between uh, Lolita, The NeverEnding Story, or The Glass Bead Game by Herman Hesse, or Hesse. Um, favorite film Labyrinth all day long, every day. Yeah, Fair even with the trauma with the horse. Wrong film. Oh, no, that was Wrong never film. Story, Although, yeah, that was among my books, and yeah, even with the horse trauma, yeah. <laughs> it's not right. It's not it's right. It's not right. Um, so yeah, favorite film Labyrinth. I'm a massive Jim Henson fan. I have a picture of Jim Henson next to my bed. I genuinely do. <laughs> Um, Jim Henson, Kermit and Ernie um, Brilliant. and my favourite song I'm slightly ashamed to say is the Lou Reed and Friends version of Perfect Day um, that the BBC brought out in the, right. in the late 90s as a kind of promo um, yes I remember it I, do, I don't think it's that bad I don't think that's it's flipping great but it's just yeah. embarrassing that I don't know. It, it's embarrassing on principle, I think, that it's not even the original version of Perfect Day that I particularly like. It's that version. It came to me at a formative time. <laughs> yes, fair enough. I, I uh, often, if people ask me, I sometimes throw in Wigfield Saturday Night just to see how angry I can make them. <laughs> it's perfectly all right. But I wouldn't be angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, some people get quite but that cannot be your favorite song of all time so no, I, think, yeah, I think that one genuinely is my favorite song um and favorite joke or observation it's really difficult um i think if you haven't got one it's fine to don't feel <clears throat> you have to i'll say something and you can choose to leave it in or not um i i my most of my favorite observations have come from my daughter um she's always been funny um but now she's 14 and she's funny on purpose 
Um, yeah. And um, in a way, it's quite galling to have, if you're a comedian, to have a child who's funnier than you. But I'm also <laughs> very proud. Um, hmm. And, uh, yeah, to give an example, she's got this very dry sense of humour. Um, Excellent. We were talking about uh, air travel and how she's scared of it. And she said, um, how do you know that the plane won't crash? And I said, well, they, they kind of test rigorously before every flight. They check out the plane. And she said, then how do you explain the crashes that have already happened? And I said, well, mm. you know, nothing's 100% guaranteed. And she said, well, I just think if I'm in the sky, I'd like to be 100% sure that I'm not going to die there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I understand that completely. I'm not a huge fan of flying, so I totally get that logic. There, there's a uh, there's a Calvin and Hobbes uh, uh, strip where there's he's talking about how do they know the weight of bridges? You know, it says like no more than thirty tons. And the dad's just saying, well, they just drive progressively heavier lorries over it until it collapses, <laughs> then they rebuild it. And the mum's saying, look, if you don't know the answer. Stop telling you. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that I kind of like the logic of that. You just build it, yeah. and go over it, and then when it collapses, go rah. Well, that's the limit. We rebuild it. You think I'm if sure they did are. that, they'd think we could probably be even <laughs> stronger. Who are screaming, going, "No, god damn it, it's mad!" <laughs> but it's fine. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, I'm not, as I say, I'm not a huge fan of air travel. So the logic of I want 100 percent surety, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing that. with her. She's uh, um, opposite to me, incredibly logical. She's a really logical person. And she knows that at times being very logical all the time verges on the absurd and she kind of runs with it. And that's great. She's so Brilliant. funny. That's Which comedian or sketch first made you laugh? I think the first thing to ever really make me laugh was The Goon Show. My dad bought me up with The Goon yeah. Show. Um, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, well, heard before. Um, yeah. uh, for people who don't know, it was a, an old radio show from the 60s um, featuring Harry Seacombe, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan playing lots of different yeah. characters. Um and it was so silly and so surreal. And I just, I loved everything about it. And it was all silly voices and silly sounds. But at the same time, very witty jokes. Yes. Um, and it was always like right up to the mark for what they could get away with as well. Um, <laughs> and, always the best Yeah, band. And we had several yeah. on LP and on cassette and we had the scripts. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. My dad, my dad was well into them, and I don't know. I think that's fed into my comedy even now. I still really like things that are kind of simultaneously properly witty, but also very silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm more a fan of the. I don't know, Surreal, I suppose, or something, uh, Green Wing or Jam or... Love them both. Uh, Brilliant choices. 
that that kind of you don't know you don't really know where it's going or where it's going to end up. I'm I'm not such a fan of comedy, and that, you know, nothing against people who like it and enjoy it, but where you kind of know what's going to happen. There's a there's a certain pattern, yeah. um, and it's repeated every week, and it's yeah. Yeah, I know what's going to go on. Whereas I much prefer the "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> yes, um, that's that's always my favourite, and that's what I try to do with my comedy too. If I if I've written a joke, but I think someone else has probably already written it, even if I think it's quite funny, it gets knocked yeah. out of the set because what's, oh, no. what's the point? If someone else has said it, what's the point? I'm just going to talk my own that's kind true. of nonsense. Yeah. No, I, I I totally respect that. I totally understand that. Yeah. So I appreciate your your early on in your career, but have you yet received any for exposure or any other nonsense requests? Um, well, uh, <laughs> um, because I'm quite early on in my career, a lot of what I do still is um, unpaid. So I suppose, in a way, for exposure. And um, it says, and how did you handle it? I handle it by uh, being on universal credit. Um, I have been asked to do a kind of gig that I thought at the time was ill-conceived for me and I was right right, and I wouldn't do it again Um, I you can probably tell from the way I speak that I'm quite English um, but I live in Wales I live in South Wales and yeah. I was asked to play the Caffili Rugby Club um, okay. at a kind of fancy charity event thing. Yeah. And it was exactly what you might expect, really. It was a lot of, a lot of very well-dressed, very drunk people having a party mm-hmm. with some coincidental comedy going on at the same time. And I would not. Oh. I wouldn't do that again. I was not there. Um, I, I, they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have hired me. <laughs> it happens. Uh, everyone I've interviewed so far has got stories along those lines. Um, you know, whether, whether it's not the right venue for them, but also there is the. I suppose you take away something from that, don't you? Or all the ridiculous travel. Um, yeah. Some people who just say, "Look, there's there's a gig. We've got you know sort of twenty minutes, and it's four hours from where you live. Do you want to do it?" And it's like, um, "Well, <laughs> so I'm still at the stage where I'll get to a gig, and they'll say, oh, where have you come from?'" And I'll say, "Caffili," and they'll say, "What for this?" <laughs> like, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> but it, but it, but it is that. It's very nice. I think if you could say, "I'm only you know." I'm going to start in my career and immediately only do gigs two foot from my doorstep, but that isn't really how it works, is it? So you're doing what, what you have to do. So, you yeah. know, all credit to you. Well, I started, um, when I started doing comedy, I was fresh out of a lifelong mental and emotional block to do with travelling, like getting places yeah. I hadn't been before. I had just gone to a new city on my own for the first time and stayed in a hotel there on my own for the first time. Um, wow. I went to Gloucester okay. to see Mark Watson um, and, yeah, stayed in a hotel by myself for the first time. And so I was so new to getting around places. So when I first started, I did think, right, I'm going to try some like open mics around Cardiff. And then yeah. I was like, 
right, well, if I can do Cardiff, I can probably get to like Swansea, I can probably get to Newport. Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I've already been to Gloucester, so I could definitely do Bristol, I could do Bath, and then I could do I could do Gloucester <laughs> and I could do Cheltenham. <laughs> and it gets yeah, yeah, and it gets gets yeah. more and more just ridiculous. <laughs> no, but I really respect that. I as I say, I I'm not a comedian, I'm a Writer, so I just have utmost respect for anyone who's prepared to stand up and do their piece because it's just for me it's just no <laughs> I just couldn't I just know it'd all go horribly wrong and it's not my thing anyway but I but I have respect for anyone who can get up there and do their piece whether or not it's a success is is just how life is but the fact you're doing it is just all credit Thank to you, you. So. I love it more than anything yeah. in the world that isn't a person is what I always say um, Yes. Um, I I don't think I'm well informed enough to do the if only one comedy festival was allowed to survive. I've only been to Edinburgh. Um, Do you have a lucky totem that has to attend every show, event or writing room with you? What do you believe would happen if you lost it? Um, I don't have one that I take to every gig, but I do have... uh, sort of I guess a lucky shirt I don't think it's genuinely lucky it just makes me happy to wear it um I associate it with doing comedy it's um it's kind of off-white and it's got um mermen sexy mermen on it um in a kind of tattoo traditional tattoo style um and um, I bought it because I saw Alex Horn wearing it and I'm cool what better reason could there, there is, be? There is no better reason. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm an eligible single woman, um, and I gather that men like women who dress like Alex Horn. So, um. yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Why not? Um, there, there was a there was a comedian. I forget. Oh, I forget her name now. But she was talking about she had um, lucky boots, mm. but also if the gig went badly wrong, then they were evil boots. <laughs> um, be burned so i kind of like that take on a totem it's like if this goes well my new boots are lucky boots if it goes badly wrong they are evil boots that i will just you know sort of basically throw in the bin it's like yeah yeah that sounds perfectly reasonable blame the boots yeah yeah i don't think i don't know i'm quite in some ways i'm very credulous like i'll entertain anything but i don't think i'm particularly superstitious i think if a if a gig goes well it's because I did well and the audience um were my kind of audience if the gig goes badly um I still did well (laughs) the audience is just rubbish no I think I I I think I usually do about as well as any other time it often just depends on whether it's my audience I think totally totally you know it's uh, that is just how anyone's career go you know when i'm writing things i can talk to one person who's right up you know understanding what i'm talking about and i can talk to someone else and they're just like i just don't really get mm. <laughs> where you're yeah they're from. always so, yeah that is just how life is yeah. you know um if you could pretend a sketch radio show tv show or film was written by you which one would you blatantly steal and by the way, I should stress, yes, we don't steal each other's work completely. This is purely hypothetical. Yes, and also you would totally get away with it. Yes, so, I mean, obviously I could not steal it because it very much already belongs to someone else. But if 
if the person who made it weren't very well known and if it weren't widely available, I think <laughs> I could probably persuade people that um, I had written Alice's Wonderland. Um, it's a it's a radio show um, written and partly performed by Alice Lowe, who I love. Yes. Um, yes. And it's kind of random adventures set in this yeah. they call, I think they call it a, a poundland fantasy world um, <laughs> yeah and it's surreal and a bit dark it's very me when I discovered it I, I thought oh I wish I'd written that because <laughs> I could have well I couldn't have because I'm not as good as her but it it feels like it could have come out of my head yeah Oh, I like, I mean, I think that's that's the perfect kind of thing, you know. It's uh, Some people have had a real panic about, well, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm stealing someone else's word. It's like, no, no, this is, if you can get away with it and no one no one would know. So that's really the, it's just a, it's just the spirit of, you know, what, what do you highly credit? Yeah, I, I just think it's really credit? good and very me. And I wish yeah. that I'd thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> we all have, trust me, we all have that one. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, name one time you're proud of your work and why. Um, last year I went to Edinburgh for the first time. Um, and among other gigs, I supported uh, my friend, uh, the comedian Judy Boom, um, who yeah. had her first full length show. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, brilliant. Um, lovely show yeah. as well, and lovely person, lovely comedian. Um, and um, she was doing it with the free fringe, so it was all quite kind of on a shoestring. Um, it yeah. was in the basement of a queer cafe. Um, Why not? A fair way out of the centre. Um, yeah. And in one of my first ever gigs in the Edinburgh Fringe, which I was, I was, I was just so impressed with myself that I got there, you know. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. managed to turn up there. I was so excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, in one of my first ever gigs, it, I was supporting her, and I had to stop a gig several times because two people were laughing too much. <laughs> wow, and that's that's pretty good. That's really good. It was the best disruption. I thought they might need urgent medical attention, <laughs> wheezing and falling off their chairs. They were lovely. They were students, and I um I took a photo with them afterwards. But they... oh, brilliant! But I had to keep. Are you all right? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, that was. Good. I thought, but I, I love that. I love they were laughing too much, and you had to go. Can we just? <laughs> yeah, can we just just turn it down, please? <laughs> Can you just stop laughing so much? That would be great if you could do that. Um, what a lovely thing to say. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, it says here, name one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe swallow you whole. You may have already covered this with the rugby no, club, I suppose. No, no. But... Um, that was not my worst gig. Um, my worst okay. gig was so bad that it made it into a subsequent set. Um, wow, that's that's good learning, yeah. though. Um it was in Dorset. Um, they, I was on second. They loved the woman who was on first. 
right. they did not love me. They <laughs> oh. they sat there looking angry, <laughs> not laughing, and looking just just really cross with me that I was there. I see. I really. I don't. I don't have a lot of patience for people like that. There's. There's a great point. Toby Haydock, who runs a comedy club up in Manchester, um, and does comedy and does a lot of Doctor Who, but everyone forgets he's a comedian, um, <laughs> which does wind him up sometimes. I knew the Doctor Who guy, yes, but also <laughs> just very clear. <laughs> but he was saying um, when he's running the set, you know, when he's running doing the comparing. You know, you're going to have, if you go along to the evening, there's bound to be someone, you know, a couple of people you really like, maybe someone you, you, you just not your comedy. But he said, just suck it up. Just, just you know, it's going to be 10 minutes out of your life or 15 minutes or whatever out of your life. Just let it go. You don't have to be unpleasant or anything about it. You know, that the nature of comedy is you're not going to like every single comedian you ever see. That's just not how comedy works, you know. But don't, don't give them sort of negative vibes. How's that helping? And I totally agree with them, so... I think with this gig, it was that it was the first um, comedy gig in that venue, first ever comedy gig in that mm. venue. And a lot of the people had put their hands up when asked, is this your first ever comedy gig? Um, yeah. And I think they saw the first act and she was really good, but she was also yeah. um, very kind of broad in a way that I'm not. Um, yeah. And I think I then came on and they were like, oh, well, we've been given to believe that comedy was this and now you're showing me this other thing. Um, they, wow. they really haven't seen comedy before. Well, maybe not. I mean, um, but um, yeah, no, no one heckled, but it was oh, like that's... performing to somehow a very hostile, empty room. Wow. Um, what a shame. Yeah. But yeah, I got material out of it. And I was going to say, learn and grow, yeah. learn and grow. Yeah, always. And yeah. since then, several other comedians have said, "Yep." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they just ate joy there. That, that's a place where you go for peril, is yeah. it? Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Okay. And goodness knows, I love peril. Um, if you fancy a bit of a beating, go to this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, where am I then? Um, name one item of memorabilia you've acquired from the circuit that you would happily pull from the fire before anything else, including loved ones. Again, don't mean it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the proviso that I probably would rescue at least my daughter and probably my cat first. Um, Absolutely. I, uh, I have... Well... When I went to Edinburgh, one of the gigs that I did, one of the gigs that I was involved in, was um, yeah. Mark Watson's Church Fest, um, which was a seven-hour kind of marathon thing. It's not that long, not that long by his standards, but no, no. long enough. Um, and um, he very kindly let a couple of us who were just starting out in comedy um perform at that gig yeah that was a big deal for me because he's probably my favorite comedian uh, he's an amazing he's an amazing comedian he's also i've never i've never met him but he always strikes me as just such a lovely he guy is. just <laughs> he's just lovely. he's a ridiculously lovely guy 
And I think partly mm. because he's just terrified of anyone thinking ill of him. Um, but after all, um, that's why we become comedians. So we have that instant feedback. Um, just love me, please. Everyone please, love me. Please yeah. love me, please. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So I did that gig, um, which was a huge deal for me. Um, yeah. I also there met a lot of fellow um, Mark Watson fans um, who Brilliant. I'd known for a long time via Twitter. Had a nice little, we still do have a nice little kind of bubble there away from, from yeah. the hatred. That's, that's getting harder these days, but yeah. yes. Um, so I met a load of people I considered friends for the first time there as well. And um, I bought a copy of Mark Watson's book, Mortified, Eight Deaths and Life After Them. Um, <laughs> and I got all of my mates and Mark Watson and a couple of other comedians who were there to sign it. And, oh, superb. And that's my kind of happy, happy book, my happy yeah. place. And I would save that. Yeah, I I I, to I can totally understand where you're coming from. I met managed to meet some Terry Pratchett before oh, he passed wow. on, and then um, and got got one of the books signed. And I took that book along when I went to see Neil Gaiman to get him because it was Good yeah. Omens. So I wanted them to both the original Good Omens. So I wanted them to both sign it. And <laughs> I obviously look like the kind of guy who uh, is in it for the money because he went to sign it. And he looked up at me and said, "You're not putting us on eBay, are you?" And it's like. No, no. Do I look like the kind of person who's going to immediately wing it on eBay? <laughs> I mean, the the Pratchett signature. It's not like he can do it again, is it? If I sell this book, mm. so so no. That's that's my treasure. Um, is signed by both of them. Um, but I I still sticks with me that he just obviously looked at me as the kind of yeah. You look like the kind of person who flogs stuff on eBay. <laughs> Okay, thank you. <laughs> I think I've, I've also good? had an awkward interaction with Neil Gaiman. If it helps. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I went. Um, I queued up to get something signed by his then wife Amanda Palmer at Hay on Wye, yeah. um, and he was also there. And I'm, I'm sometimes, um, not very socially. <laughs> adept but quite friendly with it um and yeah. i wanted him to know that i also admired him <laughs> so, so twice i just kind of smiled aggressively at, at him and basically forced him to smile back and looking back i don't think that was the best way to go about it <laughs> i suppose he, he doesn't know what, what the individual is going to be like i you know i can understand but Always comes across. I mean, to be fair, he does come across as quite a genuinely nice guy. So I think maybe maybe he was just having a bad day when I spoke to him. But I think I was just so excited to get it signed, and then it was that's the. I'm sure he said other things, but that's the only bit that sticks with me is, are you going to flog it on eBay? So <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't carry that around with me. To be fair, but but aggressive smiling. I'll, I might try that next time. Just see if I can up the ante. So, um, right. There's. Uh... What one thing would you not tell up-and-coming funny people so that they can suffer like you did? This feels like another one that needs a, a disclaimer. <laughs> All kinds of caveats. Obviously, you wouldn't do that to up-and-coming people. You'd be incredibly lovely and genuine and give them honest advice. But, but if you were feeling 
cruel or malevolent or something. What? Um, I don't think this is cruel or malevolent. I, I think it could be a teaching opportunity. <laughs> um, because although I didn't enjoy it, I think I learned a lot very quickly from starting off doing kind of generalized open mics um, because you realize quite early on that the people there are there for music. They are not there for comedy. And so they're hard gigs, but it teaches you to be thick skinned very quickly, which I think you need um, as a comedian. Like I never thought of myself as very thick skinned, but somehow the comedy is just, you know, toughened me right up. Um, and that I think that that's come through with other interviews I've done. There is an element of uh, obviously you've got to learn your craft. I think yeah, that's just a given, isn't it? But also you've you've got to have those harder gigs as well as the nicer gigs because it's just part of the learning curve, isn't it? You know, it's just that's how it's going to be, and it it just creates what you want to be eventually and what you know you can do, and it's just part of the journey that everyone goes on. I haven't heard. I haven't interviewed anyone yet who's just said, "Well, I decided to be a comedian. It was all great from day one." It's like I mean, it's never—it's never going to be because um, no. almost more than any other performing art, I think comedy is a very vulnerable thing to do yeah. because, yes. because yes. in any other performing art, if people don't get it they're just quiet and you can't really tell you can't usually usually can't really tell whether they were into it or not unless they heckle um but <laughs> yeah. as a comedian you have one job and that is to make them laugh and if people don't specifically laugh um then yeah agreed then you're suddenly in the middle of an anxiety dream and and you're right that it, it's 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 never going to no, not it's never going to be. There's always going to be ups and downs in the in the business. There's, I, I can't remember the guy's name. I'm talking about Edinburgh, funnily enough. He's been in the business 20, 30 years now. So you, you kind of assume he's going to turn up, all the tickets will sell out, and he'll just do his stuff. But talking to someone said, oh, he hasn't, he's barely sold any tickets. You know, just people aren't, that's not, People, I think it was the topics and things he was discussing. It just wasn't catching people's attention. Well, that was the general thing. But you think, you know, he's been in the industry for that long. You just assume you're going to sell out and people will turn up. You don't think there's a risk there, do you? That people can go, mm, nah. So they, you're right. It's always a, it's always a challenge. But I, I think that's why people enjoyed. From what I've understood so far, I think that's what people like, isn't it? It's that. There's a bit of a risk. There's a bit of an element of how's it going to go, and, and that's, that's a bit of a, a thing that gets under your skin. I think about you know, and also can you win them round if they're uh, being a bit surly or whatever? That's can you? Fun. you when when that happens, that always that always makes a difficult gig feel like a good gig. Uh, yeah. I think when when they start off subdued or even grumpy. <laughs> you get a point where you think, where you, you can see them starting to come around, and you're like, ha. <laughs> "I told you I was funny." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, can't. I didn't. I didn't, go, I didn't get up there and tell them I was funny. <laughs> I, I tried to let it speak for itself. 
That'd be a very bold opener, I feel, wouldn't it? Yeah, funny. Yeah. And then just yeah, just stare at them until they start laughing. Just don't break your gaze and just stare at them until they go. <laughs> so we supposed to laugh. Hilarity. <laughs> that must be wonderful if you if you sort of get up there and you not necessarily hostile, but like you say, maybe a bit switched off or distracted, and then whatever ten minutes or so in, they're kind of starting to laugh and starting to. That must be a great feeling. It's suddenly oh, you know, I've won them over. I pulled I pulled some of the crowd around. I mean, all of them, but I pulled you know, yeah the crowd round to me. I, I think that must be an amazing feeling. Yeah, and um, there's been. Um, there's been a few times in my career, if you can call it that. I hope you can call it that. I do get paid sometimes. Yeah, um, <laughs> there have been a few times already in my career when I've had to kind of weigh up the pros and cons of really being myself on stage. Okay. Um because my comedy right from the beginning, right from the first ever gig I did, which was for charity, um, mm. my comedy was always really deeply rooted in um, myself and my insecurities, my mental yeah, health, sure. um, the way in which my brain is weird and broken. Um, because it's what I know and because it feels good um, using it to make people laugh. Yeah. Um, but I do sometimes get audiences who just don't get that at all. I get the odd audience that Same. doesn't realise that I am kind of slightly exaggerating it. And <laughs> they just seem a bit sorry for me. <laughs> I feel like saying... I. I am a comedian. I'm 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 here on purpose. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not on here some kind of day release scheme. Um, to yeah. It's my choice to be here. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, there have been a couple of times when I've thought, is it is it worth it? Am I ever going to properly make it? Being a bit weird and a bit some people say cerebral I don't think it's particularly cerebral I think it's mostly just silly um but it does tend to be quite weird compared to a lot of stuff you see um yeah but there, there's there's slots for everything yeah. you know I, I can think of quite a few surreal or out there comedians who are still plying their trade now so <laughs> I think it's it's all there should and also I'd want there to be a, a call it what we will a smorgasbord a selection um, I, I, mean, I couldn't imagine how dull it would be if there was just one type of comedy. Well, and yeah, like, exactly. You know. And I've always come to the conclusion that, yeah, I mean, one, I have to be myself. I don't have another option. I've never been any good at um, pretending to be anything I wasn't. And two, there are still, like most gigs that I do, at least one person will come up to me and say, oh, I really liked that. That's, that was so me, you know. I think, and that's another point with with mental health now being. I mean, there's still a way to go, but it's certainly more spoken about than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and also, I think that's really powerful as well for other people to know they're not alone. That even if they even if they don't say anything, even if they just listen and, but but just maybe the thought of oh my brain does that. Yeah. Or 
I, I go through that process or, oh, I'm not the only one who does this, what I thought was a weird thing that only I do, but actually yeah. there's someone else out there. I, I think that's so powerful um, as well, on top of the comedy, that people, whether they say anything or whether they keep quiet, but just even that thought that they might go, oh, yeah, okay, it's I'm not alone here. Um, you know, there are other people out there. And the opportunity to say that to a room of people widens the chance of, that person feeling heard or you know at least understood yeah i think that's so powerful um i don't think that could be underrated ever so yeah and i love doing it yeah 100 so, yeah I'm, that's the key reason I'm for doing hoping, it obviously. i'm not going to change so <laughs> so i <laughs> guess every now and then i will have an audience that just goes what what <laughs> um and that's fine um right outside of comedy what else do you enjoy doing and what would be your ideal career? Um, I am slightly obsessed with 80s and 90s nostalgia. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I did um, have a podcast on the subject. Unfortunately, it's on indefinite hiatus at the moment due to life. Um, it does happen. Yeah. Um, but I want to pick it up again when I can. Um, if I, my ideal career, if it weren't um, making a viable career out of stand-up comedy, um, oh. would be like if there were such a job as archiving, collecting together, and archiving everything from the eighties and nineties. Oh, that'd be superb! Like trawling through recorded off the TV videotapes. Oh. Going around charity shops and flea markets and stuff, buying up old My Little Ponies. That would that would, that would be the life for me. I could see that. I think maybe just perhaps just clear out like the V&A or something. Just get rid of all that old tat. Yeah. And just turn it into an 80s and 90s yeah. um, memorabilia. I think that would be... I imagine the number of people who go along just to look at it and go, God, I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing, uh, going back, I know I mentioned eBay earlier, but that's one of the things about eBay sometimes that I'm looking for something and then, I don't know why, but some random thing will pop up and it'll be from the 80s and 90s. You go, God, yes, I remember those. And you have this fondest memory of it, but there is the more adult part of your brain going, yes, but it's crap, isn't it? You know it's crap. <laughs> You're fondly remembering it, but it was quite crap when it was in the 80s, so it's definitely crap now. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about... No, not at all. I I have a collection of um, tacky eighties and nineties paperbacks. Um, oh, superb! And they yeah. are stupid and ridiculous, and I do read them. Um, Brilliant. There was there was a, for me, and I still don't have one. There was the I think it was Tommy Truck. It was a programmable truck that you could put in cord. I don't know quite how it works. I never had one, but. Mm. You can put in coordinates, I think, and get it to like deliver your cup of tea. Oh, nice! Um, <laughs> um, but but I, I would get the impression as it was, I'm pretty sure it was 80s, that pro presumably programming it took about a year. Yes. Uh, at which point you could have probably made a thousand cups of tea. Yes. But I, I always sort of went, I'd really like one of those. And there's part of me going, if I ever find one cheap on eBay, do, do I get it and then be massively disappointed at how awful it is? <laughs> or do I just let the memory of the amazingness of it just stay? I'm, I'm edging more towards the just let the memory of the amazingness stay. Cause... That's fair enough. 
Mm. Um, for me, once I'm able to sort out my uh, garage, which isn't really a garage, it's a converted, it's converted into a room. Um, yeah. It's a complete tip at the moment, but once I'm able to sort it out, it will become a collection room, hopefully. Oh, what a superb idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the idea of going around charity shops or where it, or, or flea markets or whatever and just going, oh, look, look at that. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> because I collect these stupid paperbacks as well, I will go to um, Hey On Why and Town of Books. Um, yeah. Yeah, for, for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically a town that's all bookshops, all secondhand yeah. bookshops, and one ice cream shop, and one <laughs> shop, and no co-op. Um, Superb. Um, I, I love going around there and seeing the confused look in the seller's eyes as I buy up all of the tat that's been there for. <laughs> Are you sure you want this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I, I much prefer those um, oddball things than, I suppose, if you like the more commercial. So I, I love, yeah, I'm with. I could see an 80s and 90s just being perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, the last one, um, as a bit of an anticlimax. I don't know what's the one question I want to be asked that no one ever tends to ask me. Um, do, you, do you want to ask me anything in particular? No, I think I think we've had a, a really good conversation. I really appreciate your your time on that, and I, I obviously I wish you all the best um, you. in forging your career. It's it's um, obviously I've spoken to people who've been in the business a while, and now I'm speaking to some people who are sort of more at the starting outside, and it's just fascinating because the. I think finding your voice, I think, is always the thing. The the more died in the wall sort of interviews say about find your voice and then be that and then and it sounds like you've already found your voice uh, it's just playing the trade isn't it so yeah. i think that's amazing. yeah the voice was never a problem <laughs> <laughs> um people have been trying to shut me up for years <laughs> um but no but, yeah but a huge best of luck and I, I hope i hope to see your name popping up in more and more places as time goes on I so expect it will and thank you for your time so um a, a big thank you to chrissy for that interview um if you'd like to know more there'll be some links in the show notes this has been an original podcast production for like motif productions thank you Asparagus stalk.